0: Thank <laughs> you. Hi there my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink I don't have my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs here today and that is because I have spent the last three days well a few days ago going around speciality and fine food fair 700 stands It was absolutely incredible So we've got a Speciality and Fine Food Fair Special um, And I've got five interviews Uh, I went round and and interviewed people That I thought were really interesting And doing something a bit different So you're just about to hear from uh, La Tua Pasta uh, O'Donnell Moonshine Lamar Estate Dadimas And Fentiman's Um, So I'm going to take you back to Speciality and Fine Food Fair See what you think so we're at day three at Speciality and Fine Food Fair. I've had the most wonderful food and, and I'm with a producer Lucy and Lucy's deliberately standing next to me because we're at the La Tua Pasta Stand. Uh it looks fantastic, doesn't it, all the colours? It's
1: brilliant, the colours, this are oh. I would say more than (laughs) fades.
0: it is art and we've we've got um, I'm joined by uh, Giuseppe uh, Palumbo we've got lots of different ones here so so we've got um, we've got tortelloni red radicchio we've got tomato mozzarella beetroot and goat cheese burrata and black truffle crayfish and prawn and actually uh, the number of great taste awards you've got now is phenomenal
2: Yes, uh, we are very very proud to um, achieve 18th Great Taste Award this year, so it's really good. And I think, top of my head, we are over 60 now since we start our businesses. So yes, um, we are a you know fresh pasta manufacturer here in London. So which and we you know supply all UK and um, we born in 2006 for a family it was a very small family business run by and still run from from the same family which is uh, francesco and Car- carolina bojan and um yeah they started in the small kitchen doing basically everything from the pasta to the delivery and then yes the pasta you know became uh, popular and popular and popular so now that, that's where we where we are now and uh
0: well, I've had some of your own pasta before, and, and it, it's, just, it's just nothing like what you buy in a supermarket. So, you know, if you do buy ravioli in a supermarket, um, I'm sorry to say, this is my personal opinion, it doesn't really... The, the, the pasta always is a little bit plasticky. I always think it's got a horrible sheen to it. Um, this is actually proper handmade pasta. And, and whilst it started as a family-runs thing and, you know, in the kitchen the the processes that you've got and the way you make it hasn't
2: really changed no it hasn't, hasn't really changed so we 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 were often it we was still hard so we still do the pasta as um we do a thousand kilo of pasta for example as the same as the same we do one kilo of pasta so the tortellini for example is unfolded and the pasta is 100% natural so there is not um, preservatives and auditives in it and um, also uh what uh, uh, uh one of our you know you know proud is that we keep everything natural so we buy all the ingredients fresh ingredients and we made in our kitchen from the fillings to to to, to you know with to the, all the process from the raw products to the final products
0: and i think that's why you can manage to have so many different fillings um and because it's being handmade it does mean that you you can you can do a massive range can't you because it's not like you've got one factory and you're just pulling through you know one sort of ingredient this allows you to have literally dozens of different beautiful flavors
2: yes they, we can do over 200 type of products basically in changing colors changing fillings uh, from vegan to vegetarian uh, to meat fish so uh, yes we we, we, we we are happy to, to be here and to you know to to help the customer as much as possible to give their the taste the, yes exactly that's what it is
0: now um lucy you've been sitting here uh, uh well standing here uh, you're pa- very patiently <laughs> okay so what have we got there
1: so we've got the uh, truffle and black olive
0: black mushroom mushroom is mushrooms <laughs> truffle and black mushroom mushrooms, uh, mushrooms. Mm. so i'm gonna try some uh, they've cut in half uh, mm. so uh, mm. i've just been cooked Really, the truffle,
2: can't you? Mm. Mm. So, <laughs> mushroom and truffle is one of our, you know, great taste awards. Uh, one of the, one of the great taste awards won this year. So really good, really. really nice. Oh, oh, that is so
0: good. What do you think? Hang on, <laughs> hang on yeah. Oh, it's fabulous. Mm. It's that creamy, isn't it? The the pasta is really creamy, and bearing in mind, there's no sauce on that at all. Most pasta, if you were to eat, you know, like tortellini or a ravioli. Um, and you had a filling in there. You just you just would have to have something with it because it just just wouldn't work and it would be very dry. That's not dry it's just on its own.
1: Mm, I could eat that pasta just without anything. It's that tender. It's not dry. It's not starchy or anything, is it? Can I have
0: another bit? Yeah, I'm gonna have another bit as well. Mm, yeah. Um, so how did you get involved? Because we're gonna eat now because I can't talk. Yes. So, and um, Giuseppe, how did you get involved in the company?
2: So I, I started work with the company three years ago now. So I, and um, I got a food background because my family's got you know from Italy. They did my, my my father is a is a pasticere, so he makes cakes. So I always been passionate about it. So after my study, I came to UK, and, uh, and then I I think I found my dream job through okay. pastime food. Uh, so yeah, I'm very very grateful to work for for, for, for La Tua. for and uh, and I you know. F- f- Hop was going to be many many years more. <laughs> and
0: it's it's such good quality. Now now I know a lot of food service um, buy la Tour pasta because they that's what they sell as you know part of their you know restaurant business or whatever. Um, can can normal consumers can the normal normal public buy this stuff?
2: Yes, they do. Um, we have um, a um, one of our shop, uh, which has been there twelve years now, is in Boro Market. So Boromarka itself a, is a produce market. So we are there just, just for, the, for the obvious reason. We produce the pasta ourselves. So, the, the, and also there is several uh, deli, deli and, uh, you know, food all that you can uh, you can take, find our pasta.
0: And Can you order it online?
2: You can do, yes, you can order online. You can, um, you could inquire at uh, infolatuapasta.com and uh, then, you know, see where, where are you located in London or outside London. And then, you know, they, they can help you with that to say when we can do the delivery and all the mini orders and stuff like that.
0: Well, fabulous. I, I'm going to might ask him for some more, don't you? Oh, i've got a few meetings come up
1: in london soon so i
0: think i'm sure they're by borough market yeah, there must be there must be, yeah, well, be um that. so giuseppe thank you very much uh, it's a lot of pasta and we will of course have links from the website um and uh well i just you just need to keep adding to your great taste awards you've got 80 now so so just keep going thanks very much giuseppe
2: thank you very much thank you bye-bye
0: almost a hundred years ago in america The 18th Amendment was passed, banning the production sale and distribution of alcohol. The era of distilling alcohol illegally, often by moonlight, had begun. Farmers quickly began to produce moonshine in their backyards to meet the demand of the smugglers and bootleggers who sold it to thirsty customers. They bottled in mason jars so they didn't raise suspicion from the authorities. Edward Spike O'Donnell was the leader of the Southside O'Donnell gang who fought the bloody beer wars of Chicago during the 1920s. He has been the inspiration for O'Donnell Moonshine. And I'm joined by Hugo, who founded the company with a couple of mates. You're with me now. Yes, hello. (laughs) <laughs> You're going to need to say more than that, Hugo. So, moonshine. Um, I didn't actually realise it was called moonshine because they were they were you know trying to sort of um, you know get it under the authorities' noses and, and transport it all at night. Uh, t- this is particularly American, isn't it? In its heritage. What's your connection?
3: Um, so, pretty much one of our partners, August, um, went to go study in America um, in South Carolina, and he. Um, While out there, I suppose, did what a lot of us do, which is drink a little bit too much Um, and especially moonshine. So when he came back to Germany, um, he was looking for a job and also looking to have a drink and uh, couldn't find any moonshine. And hey, voila, he saw a gap in the market, um, took over a story, brought it over and me and Philip joined him. Um, And yeah, and it all started in Berlin back in 2014.
0: And now you're here. And now you're here in London. Now, the thing with moonshine is is traditionally it's quite high proof, isn't it? So so if you get a whiskey or a vodka, it's like 40% generally. Your stuff is 50%. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So our base spirit, our sort of flagship, our classic moonshine is 50% volume, which gets us into the 100 proof um, area. Um, I think it's what people are expecting when they hear the word moonshine. So we tried to grab a hold of that um where we differ a little bit is we've distilled it three times so we've sort of treated it as you would any sort of high quality um grade alcohol um and we've yeah we've created a really crisp um smooth um but very strong um uh, spirit
0: and what's what's the what traditionally was it was it based on you know was it, was it potato or was it just anything that anybody could find because you couldn't get a legal drink so it's like well, what can we make alcohol out of
3: well there's a there's quite a lot of discussion over this um i think There's two grains of thought. One is that it could be anything. Um, My view personally is that it should probably be made, for for it to be a white whiskey, which is part of the vodka family, um, and we view our moonshine as being a white whiskey, it needs to be made from grain. Um, But yeah, again, the the term moonshine is... Still very. There's no clear definition. It's very broad. Very broad, exactly. So
0: you've interpreted it as as um, as a grain-based spirit. I know you've. I've got three in front of me here. They're all grain-based.
3: So yeah. So the three you got in front of you are actually our liqueurs. So at this stage, we've got our fifty percent high proof, and we've added syrups and water, and we've got them down to about twenty percent ABV to twenty-five percent ABV. Um, They're a modern twist. Um, They're slightly for the more. Yeah. Right for me is what you're saying.
0: Look at you, look where you were looking at me. Then these for ladies.
3: Uh, I would say that I wouldn't say they're ladies. No, I'm yeah. only joking. Yeah, I think mean, it's just it's just something which you're more likely to have every day. The 50% spirit is great if you've got a few friends around. You want to impress someone. You want to you know put it in a be silly. Yeah, uh, be silly. But these are probably something you can drink on its own yeah. midweek
0: these are sort of adult drinks now what I really like is that you you've actually um have bottled these in mason jars so so mason jars you know for me always remind me of cooking and of food and and it looks really interesting and it's really different to have alcohol in those it looks great
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, I guess, um, like as you described in your intro, um, there is a link to the moonshine story in terms of the distribution lines they used to run. Um, Raising suspicion was a big thing. And one of the things the feds were looking out for was ordering empty glass bottles. Um, And so we sort of captured that through ordering classic mason jars straight from America. Um, And they're great. The only issue is pouring out of a mason jar when you're trying to make a cocktail is relatively difficult. So we've sort of come up with this ingenious um, free pour system, um, which we hand make ourselves, and um,
0: so what you've done is you've got a normal, um, you've got a normal mason jar, and as you say, that's quite difficult because it's almost like a big jam jar. So when you take the lid off, it's quite difficult to pour. So you've got these amazing little spouts that, that come out of it, which again, look fantastic.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it was an, it was, a, we're kind of proud of it because I think it's a really simple solution to a problem which could have been a bit of a headache, and it, it's really low cost and allows us to sort of yeah, um, venture into the bar market.
0: So we're on the, the final day, day three of Speciality and Fine Food Fair. Um, like you, I'm absolutely exhausted because it's 700 um, stalls and we've been going around making uh, new friends and, and my feet ache like hell. Uh, this is my last interview of those three days. You look absolutely exhausted yourself because you've been standing, you've got no chair and your um, exhibitors thing. That's a lesson to learn, by the way. Um, shall we have a couple of drinks just to, just to end, the, end end the show with? Let's go for
3: it. I mean, I I'll, I'll actually disagree with you. I'm here for one thing only. So if I'm sat down on my stool, I'm true. less likely to get people That's in. true. That's true. Absolutely
0: true. So, so what, what, should we, what should we go with first?
3: I think we should start with the roasted apple, um, which is a blend of apple, marzipan, vanilla and um, citrus. Um, citrus. I do this because it's 20% ABV. Um, and yeah. Mmm, that's got a nice
0: almost marzipan-y lovely flavour
3: yeah the almond notes really come through on it uh, even on the nose on the palate it, yeah I mean maybe roasted apple we could have called it Bakewell tart but
0: no I can taste the apple there There's some, it's quite complex so I've got a bit of an apple going on but it is like uh, it, that's a good idea actually it's like it's like drinking a Bakewell tart
3: yeah I mean I, a naughty I really, one a nutty one yeah I mean originally we tried to sort of copy this is a little bit of the German side coming through we tried to copy a sort of classic schnapps um, and yeah this is, this is the result
0: Next up because this is where we're going finish the uh, this is where we're going to finish the exhibition might as well Might what, what have I got here?
3: Uh, the bitter rose so this is probably um, the more yeah it's quite herbal it's a uh, grapefruit black elderberry and a rose hip works really well in the Negroni or with soda it's quite crisp it's, it's my favorite
0: Now Ollie Lloyd who's my, my, my fellow presenter um, famously knows that Negroni is my favorite drink of all time. Um, but it's pretty, It's a pretty hard drink, really, isn't it? It's like it, you can't have a few of those. It's just like perhaps one at the end of the evening or one at the beginning of the evening. In my case, when you have one at the beginning of the evening, it's, it's, it's a sign of big trouble, frankly. Um, so this actually sort of is Negroni. I've got a lovely warm feeling in my tummy, actually, having <laughs> drunk that. Um, but it's only 25% and, and it's really fruity, but it's got that nice sour edge.
3: Exactly. I mean, for me, I've had a few days of, I mean, we've all been there where you start drinking at 12, let's say it's a special occasion. And actually the, the 25%, let's say I'm having a gin and tonic, which I also am a big fan of, a lot of modern craft gins are going to be between 40 and 47%. And actually, you know, you can almost get twice as many drinks um, from the Biddero. So if you're pacing yourself, it's a really nice alternative. And the color's really vivid, um, which is always a great bit of fun when you're having a drink.
0: But these three that you've put in front of me the, the colors are beautiful um so, so so that one i've just drunk is is it's sort of orangey red a it, it, very deep it's lovely and then the first one i um that I had was, was it's almost like honey actually yeah. colored um third one tough nut moonshine
3: tough nut i've left um it's our best seller um i think it's the newest of the three liqueurs um and it's the one we probably we probably got when we went out with the idea for it it's the one which i think we been able to capture the most um it's hazelnut caramel and nougat um i'm liking that already yeah yeah i mean it's really yeah i mean i think it's really good um there's not much like it on the market um the nearest we are gonna get is frangelico um but i think it's a cleaner taste um and yeah
0: oh i'm trying to think that's it's got a creaminess to it is that the nut
3: That's a nut. Yeah, I think the hazelnut really comes through on it. So when you smell it on the nose, it tastes almost like Ferrero Rocher, is what a lot of people will say. And when I try to describe it to them before they've tried it, they look at me with skepticism, like, "Oh yeah."
0: You know, I'm just—I'm going to actually confirm that it does (laughs) taste like Ferrero Rocher. It's bizarre. Not sweet, but just like those taste profiles.
3: Yeah, a liquid Ferrero Rocher with a bit of a kick right at the end.
0: Anyway, I know you're exhausted, Hugo. You've had you've had a really good event. I've, I have enjoyed the speciality of fine food fair. It, it's hard when you're when you're exhibiting. It's it's hard work, but there's been some great buyers coming past, has not there? And what I really like is that, that the people who are involved in in this business, they all do help each other and chat to each other and make you know make partnerships which is great isn't it
3: yeah i mean i think we're really lucky so we're upstairs in the discovery zone so it's a lot more smaller businesses some people still have a full time job and they're doing this on the side and you get people who are really really like into the products they're making i think there are other areas we have larger brands and that's okay as well but i really think this this space around us here has been really fun um,
0: and if you've never been to speciality and fine food fair um, it's normally on uh, in September, and uh, it's uh, Olympia, and for me, the favourite place is the Discovery Zone, which is where Hugo and o- O'Donnell's moonshine is, um, because people are really trying to do different things. So um, so what are you going to do tonight, then? Um, a bit exhausted? Are going to fall asleep? Are going to have a bit of moonshine?
3: Uh, I'm going to pack up, I'm going to go home, <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep, and I'm going to follow up on Leeds tomorrow. It's not very <laughs> rock and roll. I'm really sorry.
0: It's really nice to meet you. Thank you, Hugo.
3: Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>
0: Um, I don't know if any of you have been to Jersey. I've been to Jersey a couple of times. I really, really like it. And and it has become a little bit of a food mecca, actually. Although I have read recently that numbers are down in terms of visitors to Jersey. Not quite sure what that is. Um, And I'm joined by Tim Crowley. Crowley. So I was going to say Crowley. I'm joined by Tim Crowley. Um, And you arrived in Jersey two decades ago, didn't you?
4: I'm actually there 30 years now. I worked for this company for the last 20 and really, really, in the food industry in Jersey, it's it's taken off quite well. Obviously, we have famous things like Jersey cows, and uh, and the royal potato. And we're really the next level down from that, using those products to make new inventive um, artisan products.
0: But but what drew you to the to the beautiful island in the first place before before you joined uh, Lamart?
4: I think uh, hospitality I trained in Ireland in hospitality and at that time everybody was going to Jersey to work so went over for a holiday and I think if you ask every Irish person in Jersey how long did you first go for they say a holiday and then you never go back
0: So you arrived in Jersey uh, which we say is, is, is a beautiful place and you ended up working at this sort of family run visitor attraction that, that was there uh, which, was, which is it's an estate it's, it's, it's a, it's a land based thing D- to describe it to me
4: Well, it's a wine estate. So first of all, it's a wine estate, and and then we open to visitors. So I guess rather than an attraction, it's a wine estate that has a visitor center. Um, And effectively, it's open for tourism in the summer. We have about 20,000 people who visit. More importantly, we take that one step further, because our passion is products um, from the land, the terroir around us. So we lift all those products out. What can we do with uh, apples, which are very famous for Jersey's history, with Jersey Royal Potatoes, and with our dairy industry? And combining those into different ways, we've come up with... um, over 100 products that we make, but we sell them mainly direct to customers, to tourists in Jersey. We have our own shop on the High Street. We have a duty-free shop to resolve the problem of liquids on planes. We just move the shop airside. So solutions like that, really, to listen to customers and provide solutions. The estate is uh, is uh, one of the oldest vineyards in the UK. Um, it's the most subtly, for sure. Um, it's on the same latitude as Champagne. Anna, I honestly, didn't
0: realise that it's on the same latitude as Champagne.
4: Yes, North Champagne. So, and we're only 12 miles off the coast of France. So, location-wise, there's no reason in your head. Of course, we consider ourselves English politically, um, but we're actually part of France ge- ge- geographically.
0: So we've got uh, so we've got this uh, Lamar, uh, uh, a sort of wine estate. Um, and you you arrived there 20 years ago, and it was uh, it was turning over less than 200,000 a year. And, and now, I mean, I know you're you're very modest, but actually, you you are quite well renowned for being a, a a pretty good, you know, businessman, a really a really sort of good businessman. And I know you've taken it now to to more than a two million turnover. Um, and I know you're going to say it's not just you; it's about the team and all that, which it is. But it is about leadership and and looking at something like that and and really understanding what the opportunities are and bringing out the natural, you know, the natural assets of that of that um, sort of um, estate, isn't it?
4: I think you look around at what you have. I grew up a farmer's uh, son, so you already have a big connection with the land. Um, When you move that on to see the opportunity that exists in the environment and the wider environment around you, you can bring that together. And, of course, that's just one element. You have to then... An environment is one thing, but the people really make it. So uh, I guess the skill for a business leader is to uh, find the best people you can and get them to gel and work together to create something um, wonderful. I think my best years as a leader are probably when I'm... um, letting other people lead you know uh, giving them encouragement and giving them the space to breathe and, and to get on be creative in their own worlds so most of our recent stuff is is other people really surprising me and pushing the business further than i ever imagined
0: i mean i think if you do if you do um if you do sort of recruit the best people which 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 we should all try and do it, it is then about giving them space to get on with it and not not interfering and and, and micromanaging as well isn't it to some degree
4: Absolutely. And, and now really a, a CEO's job is more about uh, three years ahead rather than the current. So very little of my day job is about what happens today. It's the operational staff's job. Of course, you're there to intervene and support and make sure things don't go off the rails. But in general, um, your work is ahead. You know, most of my day job is two to three years. Hence, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And, and keeping the team on track to achieve that.
0: Yep. So keeping people uh, uh, fixed on the vision, making sure they don't sort of go, up, go off course, um, and, and making sure the business is secure one year, two years hence, not, not, not just next week. Um, having said that, can I try some of your stuff now?
4: Absolutely. So,
0: so Jersey's very famous for, for this black uh, butter. Now, um, for anybody who knows about Great Taste Awards, um, getting a Great Taste three star is about as good as you can get. And Jersey black butter, of course, has a great taste, uh, three-star. Um, and, and Jersey black butter is, it, it's a sort of marmalade jam thing uh, made of apples, cider and spices.
4: Well, again, this is really looking around us, in the eighteen hundred, all the way from about the uh, 14 to 1800s, Jersey was fully covered in apple trees, there was no Jersey Royals. Um, a really tradition at the end of the apple harvest where people come together and they'd make this preserve that developed over time um, and this recipe is still from the 1600s today but licorice uh, cinnamons mixed spice on top of this apple jam so it's halfway between a jam and a chutney it cooks traditionally for 36 hours to make this product today we have down to one day to cook it but we love the fact that it's a community product we have 88 suppliers of apples into the estate and uh, so this is a jersey product not not just a lamar product
0: Um, It just really reminds me of Christmas. I I think it's that cinnamon, you know, spice and and, and apples. Um, And great on toast as well as with with cheese, I would say.
4: Yes, absolutely. Cheese is probably its number one um, task of being a great product on a cheese board for strong cheese. Also, we use ingredients from everything from sausage manufacturers, ice cream producers, um, chocolate producers. And uh, afternoon tea is probably the best way to have it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we've got that, but then you're again you're looking out over the estate, um, and you're you, you've got gin here, small batch gin, and Jersey apple brandy cream. Um, the gin is using your potatoes.
4: Yes, this is unique, of course, because that's the only gin made from Jersey Royal potatoes. Um, it's a a batch gin, so each year's crop of potatoes will produce a different gin. Um, we're not we're actually launching a raspberry um, addition to it shortly for a pink gin. Um, and we love just doing that with this is waste potatoes there's quite a lot of odd sizes that come off the packing run to the supermarkets and that's spare and that's exactly what we want to be using and looking at making something different and uh, the Royal Gin is exactly that.
0: I not want to waste Jersey raw potatoes I love them.
4: <laughs> there's so 30,000 tons I think exported every year from Jersey um, there's plenty of ways for us to play with.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, Particularly lovely with some great great butter doesn't need anything else does it?
4: It doesn't. In fact, we serve this with some mint on top of the glass oh, yes. and, uh, and, a, and a small Jersey rolled potato to a cocktail stick.
0: What a good idea. I've never seen gin like that.
4: Yes, of course. <laughs> You've got to look at the ingredients and I'll match them up. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Um, I tasted the uh, Jersey apple brandy when I was here on Sunday, which was day one speciality in fine food. And obviously we're on day three now. Um, that was absolutely delicious. Um, I really do like apple brandy and, and a bit underrated. People don't seem to, to, to go for that, do they?
4: Well, I think Calvados is, is the uh, French equivalent where it comes from in general and the main difference here is Calvados isn't, it isn't made great uh, or probably serious enough to its uh, cognac um, uh, neighbours, whereas this is pretty much made in a cognac distillery, uh, it's made in a cognac way, um, so treated very differently and hence you end up with a much better product. It's also aged much, much longer, it's um, a minimum of six years in the bottle and up to 30 years, so we treat it like a, a cognac brandy really.
0: Well, I definitely, if you do, um, or even if you've never had apple brandy before, I really recommend that. That's uh, Lamar Estate Jersey apple brandy. Not my favourite uh, apple brandy cream because it's not my, my cup of tea. But again, beautifully produced. And, and if you like that sort of apple brandy, but you like something a bit, a bit sweet, a bit creamier, um, that's a really good product too.
4: Yes, and again, this is combining the, the Jersey dairy um, along with our, our apples, bringing our two products together. Um, it's probably our... Best-selling alcohol, in fact, even more than gin, um, because it is just true to its uh, nature. You know, just apple brandy and cream mixed together. Very popular product for us.
0: So, um, if you're in Jersey, and if you haven't been to Jersey, why not? Uh, you really must stop by and go to the uh, to, to the wine estate there, uh, Lamar. And whereabouts is it on the island, right in the middle?
4: Uh, just on the north coast, um, so pretty easy to find. Uh, I don't even think we name the road, just everybody knows where Lamar is in Jersey.
0: So you just got to ask somebody, and um, a really good idea when you're on Jersey is, just, is to, just to hop on a bus, because all the buses go um, everywhere, don't they? So get on a bus, it means you can, you can taste a few things, have a few gins down at Amara Estate, and then, then catch the bus back to your hotel.
4: Yeah, we'd always recommend, you even get a discount on the tour if you take the bus. Um, and there's three buses that come into our car park, um, three different numbers, so always go to a wine estate by bus, and always leave much happier than when you arrive.
0: <laughs> that, that's, um, that is definitely, definitely good advice. Um, so Tim Crowley thank you so much for joining us and uh, again uh, make sure you you go to visit Jersey we will put links on uh, to the website um, but if you are there it's definitely worth a visit thanks for joining us take care so I'm on the last day of speciality and fine food fair I've had such an amazing time and met some lovely people which you always do in the food sector so that's great and um, at the moment I'm standing with Anita is it Loodtree Tree? Yeah. It's, it's Anika Ludra. Yeah, see Annie's how rubbish I am at present. I'm always rubbish at <laughs> present. No. And, and, but loads of people know as Annie.
5: Yes, Annie's uh, my nickname.
0: Annie's your nickname. Now, um, Annie, can you tell me all about your grandmother? And then I'm going to tell you all about my grandmother. Because grandmas, well, first of all, all kids love their grandparents, don't they? There's something, there's something magic, magical about grandparents, you know, because obviously you spend your whole life battling with your parents, but your grandparents are the, are the sort of very special people. And probably got a little bit more time um, to spend with you. Um, and exactly. tell me about your grandma.
5: So, my grandmother, I'm looking at her in the photograph. We've got a nice
0: photograph in front of us. Yeah.
5: Yes, her name, I call her Ma. So, her name is Santosh. And my Ma growing up was my best friend. So, I grew up living in the extended family. And I've got fond memories of her telling me folk tales to go to sleep to. She would walk me to school. She would put oil in my hair and plait it. She would cook with me we would colour together it was all a very mindful experience with hindsight and she is incredibly loving for me she is the she is the epitome of mother nature she's she lives for her children for her grandchildren and she's she's very giving and it was growing up that I that I realized the the food and her stories were intrinsically connected and for me she, my grandmother is home she's a fuzzy she gives you warm place warm it's just a warm fuzzy feeling and similarly with my with my nan as well but my 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 dadi ma i grew up with her and she calls me every day and if i if i haven't called her she'll say oh where well, you've been busy haven't you and i and i still feel guilty even if i'm crazy busy i say oh dadi ma i'm so sorry i haven't called you and she taught me to speak punjabi as well so i grew up multilingual speaking english and punjabi and that language is my connection with her as well and she calls me affectionate terms in in punjabi. So which means my child so my grandmother for me is 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 love she's love she's care she's the ultimate giver
0: because i'm looking at her photo here she's got she's got a lovely kind face yeah, really nice, kind face. It's like a smiley face. Yeah, and uh, she's wearing an apron in this photo in front of me, called Queen of the Kitchen. That pretty
5: much sums it up, does it? <laughs> that does. Um, I have to say, we bought it for her. This was for the cookbook shoot, and we bought the cu- the apron for her. She doesn't actually understand English, but she would have. She looks at symbols. So even when she goes shopping, she looks at the big brand names and the colours, and then she says, "Oh, that's that looks good quality. I'm going to buy that." But she she is the queen of the kitchen. But she's so she's so humble about everything she says that everything is very easy so chapatis for example are a real art to make and parathas but she'll laugh and she'll say oh these are so easy these are really easy to make look and she'll make it look effortless yeah so
0: so you're very mindful of the fact that that, that daddy ma has all this knowledge about recipes and she's been teaching you these recipes um, that inspired you to
5: um to, to go on a sort of
0: hunt really for other oh, grandmas didn't it
5: that did. So I had the idea of starting Daddimas when I was a teenager and then I, I went off to university, I worked and I thought I'm going to start off by interviewing Indian grandmothers because that's my heritage, that's what I know. So I, I went around the country and I interviewed lots of North Indian grandmothers and I, I spent weekends with them and I ended up calling them my Daddimas, I, I ended up calling them Daddimas and it was, it was incredible because they shared their life stories with me and some of them were were very moving and and I couldn't share everything that they told me in the cookbooks but they they were incredibly happy and touched that someone wanted to listen to them and I and I actually wrote a blog on the art of listening and how important it is to actually listen and learn from our elders because they have they have so much wisdom to share and each grandmother had her own twist on North Indian dishes and when they cooked, what I loved is that it was a completely all-consuming sensory experience. They were, they, were, they were not multitaskers. They did everything at once. Everything was done individually, and you wouldn't go and answer the door. You would stay with your cooker. You would, you would stay with your food. And, for example, one of the... So,
0: so we have, um, you're just showing me your book here. So it's quite a, it's a lovely hardback book. And essentially, it's, it's not just the recipes, is it? It's, um, it's the person that you've interviewed a little bit about their story and 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 you know their background and then
5: what their favorite recipe or a couple of their favorite recipes yeah so this was a little bit difficult because each of the grandmothers they were amazing cooks and they could cook all of the dishes so it was selecting whose dal was going to go in the book and I chose the one which I oh, you don't th- want to
0: offend anybody either. Do I you. didn't,
5: but they were all a little bit competitive with each other. Yeah. They said, "Oh well, how does she make her doll?" And, and oh, I can make my girly really like this. Yeah. So it was, it was um, quite difficult. But um, but yeah, each of the grandmothers has their own life story, and it was I wanted to do justice to their to their story and and pick out the parts which I felt would really showcase them. So for example, this this grandmother, she talks a lot about her struggle to get into teaching and the obstacles she faced. And, and the hardships, you know, getting so many different forms of transport just to get to an interview, and coming from very, very humble roots, from a very poor family, and the role of food in you know, a big pot of dal at the end of the day when she was playing on the cold streets in Leeds and how she would come home and quickly, with her coat on, she would run into the kitchen and scoop a few spoonfuls of dal and lentils into her, into her bowl her eat it. So each of them have got very, very powerful narratives. And I, and I wanted to celebrate those narratives First first and foremost, and let the food weave into their narratives, exactly. Well, we've got, we've got beautiful
0: photographs. I mean, what strikes me um, is looking at those photos as, as, as we're running through your book. We, you've got the usual food, you know, food porn, if I may say, <laughs> of all the lovely recipes and all that sort of stuff, which... And what I really like is for every recipe you got a picture because I'm I'm still I'm, I still have to have a picture of the thing I'm oh, cooking. Yeah. I don't know why It's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but what strikes me is how beautiful all these women are, you know, in their own way, even though they're older. There's there's something there is something about beauty and age, actually.
5: I completely agree, and it's the. I have to
0: say that because I'm getting older. But
5: no, no <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but it's is. the there is there is um, so much beauty in age, and the wisdom shines through in their eyes and and that's what I can see that the common denominator in all of these photographs is that there's so much so much expression and so much wisdom in their eyes and and they they are completely opened their hearts to me and they are beautiful and, and a lot of them like for example my grandmother in this photograph she never wears makeup on a daily basis. On a daily basis, and I and I said to her, "Look, we're going to get you a bit doled up, and you deserve it." And she's she's widowed as well, so she's very traditional in the sense that she you knew I don't need to get doled up. And as grandchildren, we've always said, "You deserve to, you deserve to." And I remember doing, I remember curling her hair, and I and I booked the other grandmothers, um, you know, the ones who didn't really want to gla- get glammed up. I went to their houses in the morning because we we visited each of the grandmothers in her own home because we wanted to do the cooking in situ. And for example, I remember curling Sheila's hair and, and my grandmother's hair and, and doing a bit of makeup on them and making. Spending a bit of time with them, exactly. glamming them up. Yeah. Exactly. But well. they didn't need. I, I was conscious of, of letting them be them because it's I, I had an ethical duty to to showcase them as they wanted to be portrayed. And Sheila, for example, in her story, I talk about how cheeky she was as a child. So I really wanted that to shine through in her. In I her think you can
0: well. see that she has got a bit of a cheeky face, isn't she?
5: <laughs> she has and each of their pieces of advice I mean my grandmother she is so to the point I mean to the point of being a little bit sometimes I'm a little bit crude, a bit brutal a bit brutal I mean if someone's put on a tad bit of weight she she I'll will
0: tell you fast. my mum does that as well actually yeah. yeah like you're looking a bit thick around the waist yeah thanks for that mum
5: she will and she'll say it so straight faced, but she'll, she'll get away with it and even with cooking if she was taste testing my products she would say gosh you know you need to work on this and she will have no mercy she'll say you know you know you tried out that dessert but you need to do this next time and and that's it but we
0: need critical friends we do they can get away with it grandparents can't they if it was your mum, you'd probably have an argument
5: it's true it's true and that's like you coming back to what you said you you have grandparents have got more time for their grandchildren certainly my grandmother has she she was working in factories whilst she had three children, and she was working on shifts, and her husband was doing the same. So, she always says that you know I've got more more time for my grandchildren, and whenever I ask her to teach me recipes, she's she's more than happy to to share them, and that's something that she does. And when I whenever I visit her in Nottingham, she's even if she has to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, she runs a business, she will wake up and she will cook for us, and she cooks old school. So she will spend hours in the kitchen and she can, I, can you get me an invite of course yeah <laughs> next time we're gonna we're gonna take you with us, Sue. Yeah. <laughs> dishes like saag dishes like Gudi, she is the reason i chose these quintessential dishes for her chapter is because she is so proud of making saag for example the traditional Punjabi way not just using saag as a spinach because saag is actually a, a mixture of leafy cooked vegetables so she spends she puts on her indian dramas she sits down, then she starts the process then she comes back to it, so it will take her a whole morning and evening to make her sag. and these it's are the... sort of therapeutic in a way though. It is, it is it, and I see them getting completely into the zone, these grandmothers, when they cook and I'm I'm watching them, but they're very they're very mindful of when I was learning from them, getting me involved in the process so they, if I ever got my notebook out at the bit, beginning stages, they said put your notepad away, You watch watch us and you do the cooking, because you need to watch, you need to see you need to smell when is it done you need to you need to be completely consumed in it you don't need to be writing anything down
0: interesting good point so where can we get your lovely book from and it's called daddy mars which is the indian name for grandmother where can we get it can
5: we get it uh, amazon and stuff like that waterstones yes it's online on amazon waterstones foils it's also in a few independent bookstores around london like daunt books um South Kensington books, and it's dotted around Cornwall, um, Cambridgeshire as well.
0: Excellent. Well, um, it's a beautiful book, and I think the thing about it for me is it's, it's, it's about the stories; it's not just about the uh, the recipes. And I know if we um, if uh, is there any way we can learn about you as well? Because I know you've got other products. Which I'm, we've sort of run out of time, but yes. I know we've got other bi- other products that you've you've now sort of worked on after doing this book. So where can we find out about you?
5: On my Instagram page, which is at underscore Daddy Mars d-a-d-i-m-a-s or on my website which is uk. that's
0: easy to remember and of course there'll be loads of links from the food talk website um thank you so much for joining me and um it's really good i'm gonna am i allowed to steal a copy of your book
5: i'm, I'm signing one to you right now Sue. Oh, oh, that's <laughs>
0: so good i love this job thank you so much thanks thanks very much
5: thank you Sue.
0: Well, it's day three at uh, Speciality and Fine Food Fair. I've just been stopping off at a Wagyu beef burger stand. Uh, so I had a bit of a Wagyu beef burger, and I'm with my um, producer, Lucy. You had some of that as well, didn't you? I
1: did. I bought some as well.
0: <laughs> I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> £8 pound for a burger, but it was really worth it. It's, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> so having had some sort of beef burger, I'm a little bit thirsty, and I've just walked past the Fentiman's stand, and they've just poured out some um, lovely sort of... Uh, would you call these Uh, little tasters little tasters so we've got a gently sparkling elderflower and a sparkling raspberry uh you're going to drink the sparkling elderflower any good that's ginger beer i'm drinking (laughs) that's my favorite i love ginger beer so you've got ginger beer
1: yeah so it's it's really smooth it's tasty it's fiery but it's not too you know some ginger beers are a bit too like almost fake ginger is this a grown up ginger beer? Yeah, this is grown up ginger beer. It's, it's, really it's good. Gentle. We'll go lovely with a gin.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna read you out the um I'm gonna read you out the story of um Fentimans. I don't know if you know about this. Do you? Do you know anything about them? Um no I don't. I buy a lot of their products but I'm a little bit ignorant
1: in their backstory, so
0: Well, um, I'm I'm, I'm joined by one of the Fenterman staff who doesn't want to be named because they're they're a bit shy to be on the radio. So I'm hoping she's going to correct me if I get it wrong. So in 1905, Thomas Fenterman was approached by a fellow tradesman for a loan. Um, A deal was struck and a recipe for botanically brewed ginger beer was provided as security. Those were the days. (laughs) Um, The loan was never repaid, so Thomas became the owner of the unique recipe. And Thomas began using the re- recipe and produced the ginger beer, which he delivered door to door using a horse and cart. It was stored in handmade stone jars known affectionately as grey hens, which were, now this, this actually bit is bonkers, uh, I think, which were stamped with an image of Thomas's pet dog, Fearless. So you know that famous Fentimans, you know quite used to that Fentimans label. Yeah. The dog on it, here we are, on on the on the neck of the bottle. The dog on it is actually um, is is actually named Fearless, and not only that. He he won Crufts, old fearless. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite famous, so isn't so it? he won the uh, he he won the obedience class oh. in nineteen thirty three and in nineteen thirty four, which is a bit weird. And he's he's really the sort of poster boy for Fentimans.
1: Oh, I really like him. I'm <laughs> with him. <laughs> and we're, you're just holding up a um,
0: one of the original uh, stone hens that we used to to make Fentons in and sell it door to door. And so that's an old-fashioned, sort of like um, pottery, uh, big jar. So like um, a demijohn, I would say, but, but, but made out of pottery. And, and that's actually what what they originally started making it in. Is, is that right?
1: That is. That is. Uh, back of the horse and car, door to door. We've got
0: all the, the photos of it all around the office building as well. So it's, it's the real deal. So a very historic brand. Um, I'm going to have a little taste of... Have you drunk all the ginger beer? no a bit of ginger beer oh that's very nice um, and I think Fentiman's for me is, is quite a it's quite a famous look I'm used to seeing Fentiman's it's, it's, a, it's a brand I'm sort of used to um, so it's very good and it looks like now they've branched out to all sorts of things so we've got sparkling raspberry uh, pink grapefruit tonic water and rose lemonade rose lemonade um, can I trouble you for a little taste of rose lemonade is that possible um well, yeah so and, and it's a very popular stand isn't it Fentimans? Yes. with loads of people around so it's obviously it's obviously got a bit of affection in people's hearts i think the Fentimans brand okay so i've just been handed some rose lemonade i presume that's made with rose can you nod i know you're shy and you don't want to be on the radio <laughs> can you nod and tell me is that made with roses uh, Bulgarian rose oil from the kazanak valley there you go didn't know that did you Hmm. Oh, wow, that's interesting as well. Hmm, that's very interesting. So, um, Fentimans, um, can you just tell us where we can get Fentimans from? Uh, can you get it online or is it in most major retailers? Amazon, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado. Everywhere, basically, everywhere. So so um, if you haven't had Fentimans before, it's an amazing piece of history, over 100 years old, and um, my personal favourite, Did you like the rose lemonade? I think the raspberry lemonade is my favourite. It's really sharp, yeah. No, ginger beer for me, ginger beer. So uh, look out for Fentimans. So there you go. Thank you very much to my lovely guests. I sort of interrupted them on their stands. Uh, there were so many great people to speak to that we have another um, speciality and fine food fair special uh, coming up next week too. So I hope you'll join me then.